it's one of the games that I wanted to, um, I wanted to play uh, with my kids. And so this weekend, I started introducing them to this game called 500 or Jackpot. And, and uh, essentially, it's where one person has a football, or in this case, a, a very, very soft ball, because I've got a seven and a five and a three-year-old, and footballs can <laughs> end up with broken noses. And so um, you, you have one person, and they throw it out. And when they throw it out, they th- say the amount of points that that ball is worth. And the person that catches it uh, earns those points. You get up to 500 points, and you're the winner, um, which, you know, depending on how many points you pick, you know, sometimes the kid would always throw out 500 on the first one, someone to catch it, and the game's over, and it's real boring. But I've been playing it with my kids, and, and they don't really know the rules, so we just, I call it 500, um, but we'll, get a, we'll end up throwing, like, you know, 30 or 40 of these things, and they'll get up to a million or 500,000 or anywhere from that. And uh, as you probably know, with games involving three boys, it starts out fun. There's lots of laughter. There's lots of energy. And it turns into one kid pushing or shoving or tripping or kicking or biting or scratching or something, right? And feelings get hurt and all this kind of stuff. And there's been um, a lot of that lately in our house. In fact, there's as we've grown older as parents, we're we're hearing the word I'm sorry come out a lot of our kids' mouths, and, um, and it's getting a little annoying <laughs> because they'll do the same thing over and over again, and they'll say, I'm sorry, Mom. I'm sorry, Dad. And it's, they're, they're trying to kind of, like, pump up the cute level so maybe they don't get in trouble, but, but the truth is that, that what we want to say and what we're trying to explain and what we're trying to teach is I'm sorry doesn't mean much if you don't, like, change, if you don't if you don't move into a different path, if you don't change your attitude, your belief, your, your mindset, and then especially your action. There's been a lot of I'm sorry's in my house lately. And, um, and, and, and even as recent as last night, there's, there's tears, they run away, and someone says, I'm sorry. And uh, my, my kids were trained to say, it's okay, and I'll forgive them. And they have swept into their own mindset of saying, it's not okay. Every time, it's not okay. And then they just go their separate paths, and that's parenting in my house right now. But, but it's the same in our Christian faith a little bit, too. Uh, because those of us who have been walking the Christian faith for longer than 24 hours know that we're going to mess up. We're going we're gonna to mess up. We're going to take our own path. And, uh, and this 40-day journey that we're on, which kicks off today, um, it doesn't have necessarily a title. It does, there's no series. There's no, there's no nothing. There's just this 40-day journey that I believe the Lord wants us to go on. And I want to, to kick it off by uh, walking through a couple portions of Scripture. So if you have a Bible, the verses are actually not going to be on the screen today. I've got a couple Bibles up here. If you don't have one, uh, feel free to keep that one. If you've got one on your phone, go for it or, uh, or whatever. We're going we're gonna to open up to 2 Chronicles chapter 7 to start. And then if you want to put a finger in Matthew chapter 6, you can go there as well. 2 Chronicles chapter 7 is where we're going to start. And then Matthew 6 is where we're going to end up today. I want to give you guys just a little bit of an on-ramp to this morning. Um, this morning is not about some cute byline. It's not about some, um, it's not a motivation that I have for our church. Um, this morning we are going to press into the reason for prayer, fasting, and repentance. And that's it. And that's it. Um, I felt like the Lord asked us to stop all the planning and all the 
the, the series and the, even walking through Ephesians, as good as that is. And I felt like he wanted us to address some, some rubber meets the road stuff. And we are going to start this journey with uh, some conversation in Scripture about, about why prayer, why fasting, <clears throat> and why repentance. Um, in 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14, it's going to say this. If my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and I will heal their land. And that's a verse for me that has been quoted a bunch of different times in different circumstances. Um, I went to a Christian university, so I remember in convocation, which is our chapel, it happened three times a week, um, we would meet and there would be uh, moments where this verse would come up. Back then, Jerry Falwell was still alive. He's the one who founded Thomas Road Baptist Church and, and Liberty University. And this was a verse that seemed to come out of his mouth more often than not. And uh, it had a little more power when it came out of his mouth because his voice was so authoritative and deep and, and strong. He had that like preacher voice, but uh, he, would, he, would, he would preach on this. And, and, and as, I, as I read around the context of this verse, around the chapter, which is what we do, because we want to not necessarily cherry-pick verses out of the Bible and start running with those, but we want to see where they fall in context. There are some commendations to the people of Israel, and there are some condemnations, some, some warnings uh, to the people of Israel. And, and make no mistake, we want to be very clear, this was written to a specific group of people in a specific time in Israel's history, which is our history, by the way. We, the church, find our roots in Israel's history, but it applies very clearly to Christians today. And here's, uh, here's what, um, we're, gonna, we're just going to read ch- uh, chapter 7, verse 11, all the way through 22 to kind of get the context for what's happening here. Solomon has finished the house of the Lord and the king's house, and all that Solomon had planned to do in the house of the Lord, and in his house he successfully accomplished Then the Lord appeared to Solomon in the night and said to him, I have heard your prayer and have chosen this place for myself as a house of sacrifice. Verse 13. When I shut up the heavens so that there is no rain or command the locusts to devour the land or send pestilence among my people. We don't read that part. This is actually a sentence that's been chopped up into two verses. This is God sending pestilence, shutting the heavens up from rain. This is, this is the stuff we don't like to talk about. This is the stuff that we would not find coming out of like prosperity gospel preachers' mouths, right? This is sometimes God actively shuts the heavens down from raining down on us. Sometimes the Lord sends a whale to swallow Jonah. Sometimes the Lord sends right, a famine on the land. When I do these things, then if my people (laughs) who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and heal their land. Verse 15, now my eyes will be open and my ears attentive to the prayer that is made in this place. For now I have chosen and consecrated this house, the temple that was built, that my name may be there forever, my eyes and my heart will be there for all time. 
And as for you, if you will walk before me as David your father walked, he's talking to Solomon directly in history there. If you will walk before me as your father David walked, doing according to all that I've commanded you, uh, commanded you and keeping my statutes and my rules, then I will establish your royal throne as, as I covenanted with David your father, saying, you shall not lack a man to rule Israel. But, verse 19, but if you turn aside and you forsake my statutes and my commandments that I have set before you and go and serve other gods and worship them, then I will pluck you up from my land that I have given you and this house that I have consecrated for my name. I will cast out of my sight and I will make it a proverb and a byword among all peoples. I will make a lesson out of you. Mm. And at this house, which was exalted, everyone passing by will be astonished and say, why has the Lord done this? Done thus to this land and to this house. And they will say, because they abandoned the Lord, the God of their fathers who brought them out of the land of Egypt and laid hold on other gods and worshiped them and served them. Therefore, he has brought this, all this disaster on them. So there's some context for that verse. There is a, a sense in which God is calling the people of Israel to a standard. We've talked about this. We've talked about, I actually introduced uh, the last series that we started with this idea. As far as my observation goes, that, that we as a church have gotten to be like real heavy on grace, which is great. And if that's going to be the only message that people get, grace is a really, really good message. And we want to keep that message going. But we have stopped in the middle of the sentence. And we've cherry-picked grace. And we have, we have removed repentance and just hardcore spiritual discipline. Right, pressing into the Lord in our relationship with him. And so when God is going to call the people of Israel to, to actual, real purity, not just think about it, not just talk about it in church and small group, but actual, real purity, intentionally, that it matters to God. It matters to God that we, we pursue that. That verse uh, came to mind this week. As I was getting ready to um, getting ready for today, and pressing in for what this forty days is going to look like, because make no mistake, we're going to talk about all kinds of practical stuff. Last week, if you were here, you know that we talked about all kinds of practical stuff that we're going to talk about this forty days uh, as we lead up to Easter. But but we need to hit pause for just a moment, I believe, and just make sure that as a body of believers made up of individual Christ followers that we are pushing into, leaning into our relationship with God. When I think about um, the I'm sorry's in my household that I've heard from my kids, they say, I'm sorry. It's like, well, you got to understand that we want you to take a different path. And like, I know. And I, and I think for my kids, it's more like, I'm sorry that you're mad. I saw yesterday. I saw yesterday. My seven-year-old, who is a, a firstborn in our house, um, be disciplined by his mom, and then, and then he wore on him the burden 
that he was just upset that she was upset. Not, not just that he had, had wronged her, but he was trying to make it right. He started picking up toys immediately, started folding blankets immediately. And it was, it was, it was kind of cute to watch him, but, but at the same time, I want to make sure that my sons understand that their actions have consequences, right? We all know that. I remember when my dad, now, now looking back, my dad gave me very clear warnings about paths in life. If you go this way, it's going to end badly. I'm just warning you. And while I was under my dad's roof, he was able to kind of walk with me and guide me, right? And then as I left the roof, what happens? There's freedom and there's all this, like, I can do whatever I want and no one's really telling me not to. It's kind of, it's kind of a nice feeling. And then all of a sudden, you, you, come, you come back to dad's house and you say, hey, you were, you were right. You were really right. I pursued these different paths and, and you were right. There's a difference between the I'm sorry because I am in trouble. I'm sorry because I got caught. I'm sorry because I don't measure up. And I'm sorry because I've offended you in our relationship, as far as our relationship with God. Our sin, when we choose sin, it is, it is like we are cheating on a spouse. A faithful God who loves us with everything perfectly. It is like we are taking that and saying, no, thank you. I choose my own path. And it breaks his heart. We've talked about that as we sing songs like Reckless Love, where it talks about Jesus leaving the 99 to go get the one. We got to understand that, that God has a heart for, for, for those who are lost and broken and hurting, and he wants to run after. We've got to make sure that the message is clear, that yes, God loves us and is pursuing us, and is pursuing you today, but I got to say today that we can't live in a world where it's okay to step on his neck while he reaches out to save us, right? We, we, can't, we can't ignore the love and the grace and all of that while he does that. We, we, we have mistaken the Lord's grace for something that we can abuse, that we can cheat, that we can mold into our own shape of a God. When I think about <laughs> this season, the, the story of the prodigal son in Luke 15 comes to mind. You know, I think of, uh, I think of all the ways that that maybe I have drifted in my relationship with God, and I think of the times where I have had a moment where I just needed to get on my knees or fall prostrate on the floor and just, just confess. Just, just, God, I have, I have gone my own way. I have gone my own path, and I'm coming back because I've got nothing. I've got nothing. There is something about that moment where you are brought back to the place where you realize that without God, you are nothing. Don't make a mistake. Look at the, the, the back half of this chapter in, in 2 Corinthians, uh, Chronicles, excuse me, 2 Chronicles chapter 7. Uh, if you turn aside and forsake my statutes, my commandments that I've set before you, then you go serve another God's words. I will pluck you of the land that I've given you, this house that I've consecrated for my name. I will cast you out of my sight. I will make a proverb and a byword among the peoples. There's a moment where we've got to remember that all that we have has been graciously given to us by a loving Heavenly Father that gives good gifts. And we can sometimes take that salvation 
and put it on the shelf. Right? Our relationship with God, we shelve it because there's, there's other stuff that we, we've got in front of us that we want to pursue. And so if we are going to, as this verse outlines, and I wish it were just as simple as following a couple steps. It says, and listen, if you're a note taker or a highlighter or a something, I think the verses, this verse right here, chapter 7, verse 14, if my people who are called by, name, by my name, check it out, if they humble themselves, if they pray and seek my face, and check it out, if they turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, and I will forgive their sin, and I will heal their land. If my people, I want you to make this so personal. Guys, if we, do, if we don't turn this in on ourselves right now, then what we've got is a fake version of faith. If we don't absolutely place ourselves under the authority of God and say, I'm going to humble myself, I'm going to pray and seek God's face, and I'm going to turn from my wicked ways. When Jesus uh, started his ministry, essentially the very first thing that he said was repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And I, ironically, that's not a, a verse that I think of very often. I think of the, here's how you do this, here's how you do this, and this, make sure that you remember all these things. But the very first thing that he called us to is repentance. In Matthew chapter 6, Turn there with me if you like. We're going to look at this passage where, where Jesus calls us to pray and he calls us to fast. I want to be very clear. I believe God is inviting us into a season of 40 days in prayer and fasting, not because we are going to manipulate God's hand, not because we feel like we are going to... Um, show our piety, it's because we are going to humble ourselves, we're going to pray and seek his face, and we're going to turn from our wicked ways. And the way that we're going to do that is we're going to press into our relationship with God as a community. And I pray that you take it seriously. Because what I want this 40 days to be about is a time for you to have like an elongated spiritual emphasis so that you can grow into your relationship with God. I'm asking you to consider fasting. I am not necessarily asking you to fast from food for 40 days. That's not what I'm asking. What I am asking is that you and God have a conversation about how you would like to pursue this 40 days in truly placing yourself under and submitting his leadership and submitting under his authority and his lordship. And so there's different ways to do that. Um, but the main thing that we're going to read here is, uh, is how we are to pray and how we're to fast. So we're going to look at Matthew chapter 6, verse, uh, we're going to start in verse 5. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they've received their reward. If, if, if you're looking at that, I want you to see how Jesus is, without making it obvious, he is saying 
that these people that are praying in such a way that they can be seen and honored and like revered by others, that means as little as the recognition that they will receive. That's it. That, that is their reward. They have received their reward. They've gone and done what they have came here to do, which is to perform some spiritual act of service. Perform, right? Perform in front of everybody to be watched. And they have received their reward. But what Jesus is going to say next is what I want for, for my life, for my family, for our church. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret. And your father who is in secret will reward you. Go into your room, shut the door, and pray to your father who's in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. In other words, Please pray at church. Please pray in the car. Please pray at work. Please pray before meals and all that stuff. But the hallmark of your prayer life ought to be a moment where you as a believer get alone with God, where you're not tempted to pretend, where you're not tempted to perform. And I, I got to tell you, sometimes when I go into what I would call my prayer closet, which for me is just honestly my unfinished basement where, where everything else is shut, like I've got, I've got the lights off and it's just me and the Lord. And sometimes because I'm not tempted to perform and I, I'm not necessarily required to say special words, a lot of times I sit there silent because I don't know what to say before a holy God about the life I lead. I sit there in silence, maybe baffled by my own disobedience, right? Because what did I do? I returned there to do what? To say I'm sorry. <laughs> and the Lord says in, in, in one voice, I love you and I want a relationship with you so deeply. And I want you to trust me and I want you to lean on me and I want you to do life. I want relationship with you and, and, and I don't want you to have accolades and I don't want you to be cool and I don't want you to be popular. I don't want you to have money. I want to take care of you and all that stuff, but I want you. And I also want you to want me. <laughs> Just me, not my stuff. Not forgiveness of your sins, not heaven when you die, not a throne or mansions or crowns in heaven. I want you to want me. Because rest assured, heaven is, is eternity with Jesus in perfect community with him. And hell is eternity separated from Jesus. That's it. And when I am, when I am in a room alone and praying to the Father, I believe that's the hallmark, that's the, that's the, if I could say it this way, the cornerstone of my prayer life, of my relationship with Jesus. I love praying before meals. I love praying on the way to the, will you help me find a parking spot? Will you help me pass this test? Will you help me just get through this, whatever? Will you help me get over this sickness? I love all that. I love it all. But the hallmark of your relationship with Jesus ought to be you and God in a room alone, talking. When you pray, this is verse 7, when you pray, do not heap, heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they'll be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then like this, our Father in heaven, 
Hallowed be your name. You're holy, God. You are set apart. You are perfect. You are glorious. You are everything that we're not. Your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Right? Like, God, I want, I want what you want. So if what I want doesn't line up with what you want, then will you please override? And you will. Will you please veto my vote? And you will. I am aligning my heart with you, God. By the way, this is what prayer is almost, for me, that's the most rewarding part of prayer for me. It's just me just remembering that I'm not God. Right? Give us this day our daily bread. We're making requests. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. He, he, he describes a prayer that is, that is based in humility. Right? We, we Hallowed be your name. We, we, we ascribe the holiness of God. We, we praise God and we lift his name up, not just with our mouths, but in our hearts, in, in, our, in our very posture, with our knees bowed before heaven. Hallowed be your name. I, I recognize that I'm not God, that you are. Lord, I'm putting my faith in you. Your kingdom come and your will be done. Lord, I, I, don't, I don't necessarily need my plan to come to pass. I need your plan to come to that. That is the motivation for my Christian faith is what you want is what I want. And that's what we, we ought to pray. And please go and make requests. Give us this day our daily breads. Forgive us, you know, of, of all those things. We ought to go into that closet. I'll tell you, when I go into the closet to pray, I get through the hallowed be your name and your will be done, not mine. I I get to the point where I have a lot more comfort in my relationship with God and my just trust in him because I have placed my trust in him and exclaiming and proclaiming his holiness and, and, and bowing my will to his that I'm just like, <laughs> that's where my faith has a lot of confidence and power to be honest with you is I have those words coming out of my mouth, my heart echoing this this, this feel that, that what God wants is what I want, then, then I have submitted myself, then, then, then I walk with complete peace because I have put all my faith and trust in God. If you're lacking confidence in your relationship with God, maybe it's because the hallmark of your Christian faith, the, the cornerstone, is missing. Maybe there's not been a moment where you have put your faith and trust in God. Now, I don't mean walking an aisle. Put your faith and trust in God, right? Come down, be back. I don't mean that. I mean, I mean on a daily basis, you, you actually verbally and with your heart just submit and just say, <laughs> I need you to be God. I need to be reminded that I'm not that I'm not in control, that I'm not in authority here, that I have a stewardship of the very breath in my lungs right now. When you wake up and you give God that kind of moment, of course the rest of your day walks out with more power and authority in the nature that he's given you. But when we choose a path of sin and we start not opening that closet door and not pursuing our Heavenly Father who sees in secret, but then we in secret start pursuing those secret sins and we kind of try to hide it. We try to cover it up. The Father who sees in secret. It's like the Father, just, I mean, it's like the Father sitting on his porch waiting for his son to come home. How many nights did he wait? 
for his son to come across that horizon. We have a loving and perfect God that we serve. We do. And I believe what God wants us to do is to place ourselves humbly at his feet with the right view of how holy he is. And that's why we're going to have 40 days of prayer, of fasting. Verse 16, when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. They're the kind of guy like, oh, you wouldn't believe how hard it is to fast for a couple days. Let's talk about it so you can think highly of me. No, he didn't say that. Truly I say to you, they've received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who's in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. There's these, uh, there's these two passages here, prayer and fasting, and it says not if, but when. When you pray and when you fast. And, and, and while prayer has been one of the most popular things is talked about in church, fasting is sometimes lost in the shuffle. When I fast, um, when I fasted in the past, I, I, I've had moments where people who don't understand Scripture or relationship with God, um, most people think you're trying to lose weight. <laughs> Um, and so you, this, this awkward conversation because maybe you're, maybe you're, you know, you get invited to a lunch and you don't eat, or maybe you're, you know, just whatever. There's all kinds of different ways to practice fasting. That and, and it not, it's it's not always. In fact, I, I've never actually had a fast unless it's just a day fast and I'm alone where I can really hide it from people. But but obviously the heart here is that you are pursuing when you fast, not. Um, manipulating God's hand because fasting tends to do something supernatural, but we are saying no uh, to, to sustenance. If it's fasting from food, if it's fasting from uh, sugar, if it's fasting from social media or TV or whatever, like we're saying no to those things so we can press into the heart of God. So if it's a practical sense of I would normally get an hour lunch break, I'm going to fast on lunch every day, I'm going to eat breakfast, skip lunch, fast, and eat dinner, or however you're going, or if you're going to fast a certain day of the week. The goal here, and this is just as practical as I can ask you to do, here's what I'm asking you to do, is replace that time. So if it's a lunch break and you're like working downtown, you can take some laps around the building or something like that and pray. Go find a, a spot to pray. Like you're going to say no to lunch on Wednesday or whatever it is. Or if you're fasting from social media, those times when you get that itch to like pick up the phone, you're going to say no to that and you're going to pray and ask the Lord to reveal to you more of who he is. And I... I expect the Lord to do something supernatural in our midst in this 40-day season. And listen, I have a lot of prayer requests in my life. I expect God to answer some of them, but, but more, I expect just for me to, to have a miracle done inside my heart and be more trusting, be more humble, be more patient, be more willing to obey. That's what I expect more than anything. We have some prayer requests that our church is praying for. Obviously, we're in a season where we're talking about all kinds of practical things, but we're also asking God to do a miracle amongst us. I, I expect God to do that, but I expect us as a body of believers to, 
to be searching God together, to be a body of believers who have said, as a foundation, we are putting prayer and fasting and repentance as a cornerstone um, of our faith because what we don't want to do is have all of this and have people to walk in and see a group of people who know how to do church. As a body of believers, we are going to rest on the cornerstone of our faith in Jesus Christ and we are going to press into our relationship with him in the midst of that. And so, I would like us to do something a little different right now. Um, I am going to ask you to put yourself in a posture of humility with God right now. And listen, I'm not going to tell you to go somewhere in the room. You can stay. You can, you can kneel. You can kneel at your seat. You can stand. if you like. I want you to do whatever you feel like you need to do. But what we're going to do as a body right now, right now, is we are going to pray and seek the Lord's face. I think some of you, I think it would be amazing if you grab the hand of a friend, a spouse, a, 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 like because this, this idea is we're going to do this together. This is the word that keeps popping up in my head is we're going to do this together. We're going to walk this together. So this 40-day period, I want us to be sharing what we're learning right, with each other in person, maybe phone conversations, text, if it's Facebook, not if you're fasting from Facebook, don't do that, uh, but if, you're, if you are still on with Facebook, you can kind of share that with us, um, but we're going to do this together, and so um, there's just going to be some light music playing in just a moment. I want to tell you exactly how this is going to go. There's going to be some light music playing, and I want us to have a, a few minutes here just to, just to pray and seek the Lord's face. No pretending, no performing, just a body of believers praying together and asking God to do something amazing in our midst to lift his name up. And after that, I would love for us to close out in praising um, with a couple songs. And so um, just wherever you feel um, that you'd like to go, go ahead and make your move now or, or whatever. There's going to be some light music playing. Um, you can start that, and then we're just going to have kind of a guided time of, of prayer. But for now, this is just going to be just you and God right now.